This morning we're continuing in Philippians. We started this a long time ago, it seems like, and had a nice long break. Uh, so it probably will take, be a little bit to get our minds back into it here. Uh, but we're finishing up at the end of chapter 2 of Philippians. We talked about chapter 2. Paul starts out by uh, saying if there's any, any hope, any consolation, any comfort or love, and then he says, let these things be true in you, let you have the same mind. And he goes on and talks about, let us be, have the mind of Christ. And then he goes through and talks about what that looks like practically, gives us some practical commands for that. And he gets to the end of Philippians and he starts talking about two people, Timothy and Epaphroditus. And it seems like it, this might be a turn of ideas because he's been talking about uh, living in unity with each other, having Christ's mind, living the way Christ wants us to. But I think what he's doing here is he's thinking about these two fellow servants who are great examples of doing what chapter 2 talks about doing. Um, and so that's why I think he gives us that in chapter 2. Because normally when we start talking about like Paul's friends and servants and stuff, that's at the end of a book and we're not at the end here. So I think he breaks in to kind of say, here, here's, here's a couple examples. Let me show you what this looks like in a practical way. Last time we were studying, we talked about Timothy, this example that he is for us. So today we're going to look at Epaphroditus, a name that I had to learn how to spell. It's not, not as easy as Timothy, but it, it's, we'll see that he also is a, a good example of what we should be as believers. Uh, let's go ahead and read Philippians 2, 24 through 30. Um, I would need a volunteer, of course, to read. Nathan's hands snuck up really quick, so go ahead, Nathan. So in my introduction here, I say, after, having, after writing about having a Christ-like mindset and showing how that is practically applied in our lives, Paul turns to talking about some of his fellow servants. The first of these is Timothy, which we looked at. This week, we'll look at the second example Paul identifies, Epaphroditus. While it may seem to be a 180-degree turn in direction, uh, what Paul seems to be doing is giving some real-life examples of people who are thinking and acting as Christ would want them to. So Epaphroditus is very interesting. When we looked at Timothy, we saw that Timothy appears all over the New Testament. In fact, we have kind of his salvation story in Acts. We have an insight into his family life in 2 Timothy. And um, even this morning, we saw that Timothy appeared in the introduction to Philemon, uh, was constantly with Paul, constantly serving with Paul, and seems to be one of the most faithful people that Paul had ever put himself around. Epaphroditus is a little different. He shows up two places, both, both in Philippians. Um, so we don't know a whole lot about him. I gave the second passage here in that little top box, Philippians 4.18. Who would like to read that? Go ahead, Jordan. So here we see that 
Paul received from the church in Philippi these gifts, these things that Paul needed. It seems like Epaphroditus was this faithful messenger who knew the people of Philippi, who maybe was a part of their church, but was ministering to Paul. So he would go to Paul. Um, and then our passage talks about that Paul felt the necessary to send Epaphroditus back to Philippi. Um, and so he seems to be someone who is faithfully serving as at least a messenger, as someone who's caring and taking for care of needs for Paul that have been given by the church. Um, that seems to be Epaphroditus' role. Um, so we're going to look at four things about him this morning and looking at these in the aspect of, okay, this is what Epaphroditus was like. Are we like that? Are we, do we have some of these same qualities? Not that we're necessarily going to go off to Rome and deliver food to somebody or, or clothes or, or papers or whatever. We're not going to do that, but are, are, do we have these same kind of character qualities in our life? Um, so we're going to start in Philippians 2, 24 and 25. Um, Paul writes, But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly, as I consider it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need. So the first thing I see here is Epaphroditus' availability. Hopefully that's spelled right. Um, so verse 24 kind of fits in between the Timothy and the Epaphroditus spot. I, um, when I was reading John MacArthur's commentary, he puts it in the Timothy section. I pulled it in here because I think it applies to what's going on here. Because the first thing we see is that Paul wants to come to Philippi. Now, why is this a problem for Paul? Yeah, he's, he's in prison in Rome. He doesn't exactly have freedom to go where he wants to. His desire is to go there, as we read in chapter 1. He doesn't know if he's going to be freed, if he's going to remain in prison, if they're even going to end up killing him for this. He doesn't know what his fate is. He's hoping that God's going to allow him to be free and come to them, but he really doesn't know for certain. And here he reiterates that he wants to come and minister to the church at Philippi. That's his desire. And he even says, I trust in the Lord that I myself shall come, also come shortly. He said something very similar in chapter 1 that he, he's choosing to continue to live because it's for their service, for their ministry, and he expects to see them. So that's, that's where he's leaning right now, but he really doesn't know what's going on. He's, he's stuck in Rome because he's in prison. So um, well, Paul is not able to come because, because he is in prison, so Paul sends Epaphroditus to them. Now, he describes Epaphroditus in a number of ways in this passage, and there's a lot of truth that we can see about how um, our life should reflect this, too. First of all, he calls Epaphroditus his brother. So this, they're obviously not physical brothers, but this speaks of their relationship in Christ. You know, they're brothers in the faith. Both of them have trusted Christ as their Savior, and they're therefore part of the family of God and brothers together. So this is the idea that he is a saved person, um, probably because uh, you know, they are so close that you also assume that he's walking with God too and they have a good Christian relationship between them. Um, Romans eight sixteen and 17 uh, talks about us being children and, and brothers. So would somebody read that for us, please? Lynn, go ahead. So 
So here it talks about the spirit. I think the idea is that you have the spirit in you if you're saved. You've trusted Christ as your savior, you're indwelt with the spirit. Having the spirit in you bears that witness that you are a child of God. So if you're saved, if you have the spirit, that's, that's the proof. That's saying that you're part of God's family. You're his child. And, and what's even cool here, he talks about that you're an heir, and we know that Jesus Christ is an heir, so we are joint heirs with Christ. We share in that with Christ. Well, if we're children of God and we're heirs together with Christ, what are we then? We're, we're family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And so Paul speaks to this relationship with Epaphroditus, he's a brother, and that's an important thing. It's not something to be just skipped over, oh, yeah, well, we know he's a Christian because Paul sent him, but that's an important thing in his life. That's an identification that he has, that he has trusted Christ as his Savior, that he is living for Christ. Um, so he's his brother. He also talks about him as a fellow worker. And here the idea, I think they are seeking the same goal. They're, they're working for the gospel. They're working for the gospel ministry together. And Epaphroditus is sharing that ministry. Now, from what we've seen here from this passage, Epaphroditus seems to be have sent by the Philippians to Paul to bring him things he needed. Now, Paul's sending him back. So he's not doing the same thing Paul is doing. He he's, doesn't look like he's going out to the synagogues and preaching and then going into wherever the Gentiles are meeting and sharing the gospel in that way. But he's sharing in Paul's ministry. He's a fellow worker helping Paul to accomplish what God wants him to accomplish and sharing in that gospel ministry. Um, I want to read uh, 3 John here, verses 5 through 8, so I have another reader this morning. Olivia, go ahead. So John's talking to the church here. He's talking to just ordinary church people and saying, uh, first of all, you do faithfully the things you do for the brethren, for strangers, the ways you help people, the way you meet their needs, just the things that you do to encourage them. That's a faithful thing for you to do. You should be doing that. Um, and this bears witness of your love for them. It goes on to verse 6. Um, and then if you send them forward on a manner worthy of God, you will do well. If you provide for them, if you meet their needs, if you help them go forward and do what they're supposed to be doing, you're doing a good thing. Um, and he adds on, because they went forth in his namesake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. I, I think the idea here is just saying, you know, you as a church should have provided for them, and you did provide for them. That's a good thing. And, therefore, and then he says, we therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. So even helping out, even encouraging someone, even providing for a need, even, you know, dare I say, if you clean the church, this is all important things that help people to, to do what they're supposed to do for Christ. This is part of being fellow workers with them. This is part of doing what God wants you to do. I mean, encouragement. And we see Epaphroditus, he wasn't up standing with Paul preaching in the synagogues. He wasn't writing the book. In fact, Paul introduces the book, Paul and Timothy. He doesn't say anything about Epaphroditus helping out with this. But he says he's a fellow worker. What's he doing? He's running from Philippi to Rome to help Paul, and then Paul sends him back to Philippi to encourage the church there. He's just going back and forth. He's just he's traveling for Paul. And Paul says, you are, he's a fellow worker. He's one who's helping me out. He's one he's encouraging. He's doing things that I can't do, but that need to be done. 
And it's an important thing to be serving one another, to be helping one another, and especially those in the ministry to be serving them. Lynn, your hand went up quickly. And no post office, no internet, no email, no, you can't text somebody, you can't do FaceTime, you can't do Be Real. I don't, I don't know anything about Be Real, I just know that I have daughters that use it. It went off at 8.15 today if you're interested. 9.15, yeah. So something about you're supposed to show what you're doing at the time it goes off. I don't know, it's, it's goofy to me. Anyway, that's beside the point. They didn't have any of that. The only way you could communicate was by having somebody be able to deliver a message, you'll be able to deliver a letter on your behalf and having somebody to do that. Um, and we see Epaphroditus did a lot more than even just, you know, he's not just running letters, he's, he's bringing aid to Paul. He's, you're gonna see the message of encouragement that he's gonna have for the church in just a second. Uh, so he's a fellow worker just doing what he can do. And it's not the same for everybody. Not everybody has the same role in the church or in the ministry, but what you do, whatever you're doing, is an encouragement to people. It's a help to people. It's meeting needs. You need to do that for the Lord. Uh, be a fellow worker. He also is called a fellow soldier. You had a fellow soldier in your sermon this morning, which I thought was interesting. Um, I have they fight the same fight. This, this is a this war theme here. Uh, 2 Timothy 2 talks about uh, being a soldier. Who would like to read that? Elizabeth, uh, go ahead. And here, and, and we could go a lot into what this all means, but it talks about that one of the things we're to be are to be good soldiers for Jesus Christ. We're supposed to serve and fight the fight that he wants us to fight. And Paul looked at Epaphroditus and said, this guy is a guy who's a fellow soldier. He's fighting the fight. He's doing the things that need to be done there. Uh, verse 4, your messenger. Uh, I have a re representative of Paul, but also of the church, I think, too. Now, this word messenger in the Greek is the word apostle. Um, and this is not to say that he was one of the apostles. Uh, that's not what he's saying here. But in the same way the apostles were messengers of God, Epaphroditus was a messenger of Paul, and a messenger of the church. Uh, that was his role to represent them to each other. So when he went on behalf of the church to Paul, he represented the church. The whole church couldn't go and serve Paul. They sent Epaphroditus to do it. Uh, Paul can't get back to the church, so he sends Epaphroditus to do it for him. He's a messenger for them. And he also calls him a faithful minister. He's uh, meeting Paul's need, and that should be apostrophe, as not as apostrophe. Um, and this word minister is just means servant. He's a faithful servant. He does what needs to be done. He sees where the need is. He steps in and works to do whatever is helpful. You know, we ought to be servants uh, to each other, to the Lord. We ought to serve one another. So Epaphroditus' availability, he's available, and this kind of character of who he was, and you look at these things, being a brother, being a fellow worker, being a soldier, being a messenger, being a minister, all these things talk about when, when there was a time to act, when there was a time to do something, Epaphroditus did it. And he, he sacrificed his time and his energy to serve. So first point, Epaphroditus' availability. Secondly, we look at Epaphroditus' essentialness. Nope, that one, it came up without a red squiggle under it. I typed it just to make sure. 
that was going to change if it did. Yeah. Uh, it is essential this. So Philippians 2, 26 and 27 says, says, since he was longing for you all, and he was distressed because you have heard that he was sick, for he knew he was sick almost unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Um, so here we look at Epaphroditus. He had a strong relationship with the Philippian church. Uh, you see, first of all, I'll talk about that he was longing for the church. This word longing has is the idea of desire. He desired to be with the church. He desired to know what was going on with the church. He had this good relationship. He, he, he desired to relieve their concern in this instance also. And we find out that uh, he, was, he was distressed. And this is the interesting thing about this passage. Um, the church, I think, was distressed also. They had heard that Epaphroditus was sick, and they were concerned for him. And, but Epaphroditus was concerned that they were concerned. And it sounds funny at first. It's not that he was like, well, why are they concerned about me? That's dumb. He's not saying that. What he's concerned about is that because they're hearing that he's sick, that they're having sorrow, they're having, having this anxiety, and he doesn't want them to have that. He wants them to be relieved of that. He wants them to have joy. He wants them to be uh, trusting in God through this thing. So he's, he's concerned. He's distressed about their distress. His, this word distress has the idea of deep, deep anguish, anxiety, emotional turmoil. You know, he, was, he was concerned about how the church was feeling about him and that the Philippians were concerned for him that the news of his sickness was causing them distress. How many of us are like that? I, I'm not like that. I, I'll freely admit it. When I'm sick, I, I want people to kind of pity me and, and be like, oh, it's okay, you're fine. What, can I get you some crackers? Can I get you some, uh, no, I don't know, maybe. Um, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't go, well, oh, they're so concerned for me. I wish they wouldn't be so concerned. I wish they would just have joy because I don't want to be sick that they're so concerned for me. I'm, I'm not that way, unfortunately. And I probably need to be more like Epaphroditus than that. And, um, really think above myself and beyond myself. Uh, but they were concerned because he had become sick. In fact, he was so sick that Paul says he was close to death. He was, he was on the verge of dying. But then uh, he, he kind of relieves the church here and says, but God had mercy. And that is a huge statement. God had mercy. Uh, we need to be so thankful for God's mercy. The interesting thing is when I looked up the word mercy, most other places... It's used of God giving us mercy in regard to our salvation. That while we were sinners, God showed his mercy to us and saved us. There's almost nowhere else where it applies to anything other than salvation. Now, there is one place, um, and that is in 2 Timothy 1, 16 and 18. I'll take another reader. Jonathan, go ahead. Now, you look at Anesiphorus here. Um, what, yeah, what, it's a mouthful. Um, would you say that this guy is saved or not saved? He's saved, right? I mean, I think it's pretty apparent from the passage, the way he's serving Paul, the way he's zealous uh, to find Paul and seek him out, the way he, um, just, just so often this, this is the character of a saved person, and you can tell that. So Paul starts off by saying, the Lord grant mercy to the household of Anesiphorus. And then at the end, that um, 
that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. Well, he's already had mercy for salvation, right? He's already been saved. He's seen that mercy, but there's also this idea of mercy in his life. And um, just so that's the only other passage I found that uh, in the New Testament where mercy is used of anything other than salvation. So it's an interesting concept that God had it here that um, he talks about having mercy on Epaphroditus. Now, what's a definition of mercy? Loving kindness, good. How, how is mercy, when is mercy applied? I, I like, I, I don't know if I'm asking the question right. Okay, the unmerited favor is usually used for grace, but then you followed up with the right thing, not getting what we deserve, right? Uh, what were you saying, Nathan? Okay, yeah. So the idea of, and again, let's look at this in salvation, because this is how it's used mostly. What do we deserve? What does our sin Cause us death, separation from God. So what is mercy? Well, mercy and salvation is that God sent his son Jesus Christ to take that penalty of our sin upon himself. And therefore, we don't have to pay for the sin that we have. We don't have to suffer the death. We don't have to suffer the separation for the sin that we have based on faith in Jesus Christ. That's where the mercy is. Looking at this situation, he's not talking about Epaphroditus being saved. He's not like, well, God had mercy and saved him. No, he's already saved. He's already serving the Lord. So the mercy here is that he came close to death, and that would have been an okay thing that he would have died because God, if God allowed that, that's fine. That's what eventually we're all going to die. That's, that's a deserved thing in some sense. The mercy was that God spared him, healed him, brought him back from that point of death, and now he's alive and well. That's where the mercy is. Now, here it talks about two things. Mercy on Epaphroditus. That, first of all, that he was saved, that he did not deserve to be, to, he did not deserve to be saved. <laughs> I don't know what happened there with the D. That uh, deserved to be saved from death in this case. He didn't deserve that, but God saved him, so God showed mercy on him. But then Paul adds that on me also. And this is where I get his essentialness, because Paul saw that this was an important person, not only to his ministry, but in his life, someone he cared about, as he says, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow, that God was merciful, because I would have been sorrowful. I would have, I would have hated it if Epaphroditus died. It would have been a, a terrible thing in my life. Now, would Paul have said that God was bad because Epaphroditus died, that God had done something wrong? No, God, Paul would have praised God. He would have known the truth that God is good all the time and that he does what is right. But Paul was thankful for God's mercy because it saved him that sorrow and also saved him the companionship of one who was a fellow worker, who was a fellow soldier, who was a messenger, who was a faithful servant. And so um, Paul did not deserve the blessing of these faithful friends and fellow workers that he has. And God could have taken him away and Paul would have been fine with that, but he would have been sorrowful. He would have been hurting because of that. And he saw God's mercy and that God spared Epaphroditus so that Paul would not lose this guy who was so special to him. That speaks a whole lot about Epaphroditus, right? I mean, how many people do you say like that, that if I lost this person, I'd have sorrow upon sorrow. This would be, they'd make my life a mess. There's not many people, I think, in our lives often that we would say that about. We'd say, oh, that was sad that, you know, I, I wish that person would have lived longer, but, you know, and then Paul's saying here, this, this would have just totally devastated me, but God showed me mercy. So God had mercy. So we see Epaphroditus's essentialness, and then again, you know, how many of us are serving like Epaphroditus served that were 
doing what needs to be done, that we're meeting needs, that we're uh, willing to step in and, and serve one another. It may be part of the reason why we don't have people like that and why we're not people like that is that we're not serving the Lord the way we should be doing, like Epaphroditus was. So his essentialness. Number three, Epaphroditus's encouragement. He was an encourager. Reading in Philippians 2.28, Therefore I sent them the more eagerly that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less sorrowful. So uh, Paul's sending him back to convey the news and part of what he wanted to convey from him, and it seems like he probably brought this letter also to the Philippians, but part of what he wanted to convey is that I, I was healed. God saved me. God spared me. You don't have to worry about it anymore. You don't have to be distressed about this anymore. I'm fine. Again, like Lynn said, there's no post office, you can't do a phone call, you can't text, you can't FaceTime, whatever, but this, this is the only way they would have got news. And so they were worried about him, and Paul wanted to let them know that God had worked and Epaphroditus was fine. So he sends them again then um, for their encouragement, and it says here, I, therefore I send them more eagerly that when you see him, you may rejoice. There's rejoicing in what God has done. There's rejoicing that Epaphroditus is alive and well. There's rejoicing about all this, and it should bring us joy when God works in our life and when God does great things. And it should be encouragement that when stuff happens to us that we can go to people and say, hey, look what God has done in my life. Look how God has worked. Look what God has taught me. Look what God has, has shown us of his power, of his glory, of his greatness. We ought to be able to share that with one another, and we should be sharing that with one another. You know, I think too often we um, do our prayer request times and we, we have prayer requests and there's, there's things we need to pray over. I, I'm totally for that. But then when God works, we come back and say, look what God has done. We need to be doing more of that. We need to be sharing that, hey, you know, you guys prayed about my job situation. Look at what kind of job God provided for me. You guys were praying because, you know, I, I, had, I had an injury with my leg. And God's healed that. God's helped me get better. Let's rejoice in what God has done. You know, we prayed about my coworker who doesn't know the Lord. I shared the gospel with him. Let's praise the Lord for that. He's trusted Christ as Savior. Let's praise the Lord. We ought to be rejoicing what God's doing. And part of the reason Paul sends Epaphroditus back to them is not just to just encourage them and say, hey, look, he's fine. Let's, let's all feel good now. We can all be relieved. But that they rejoice, that they worship God and what he has done. Um, but also for Paul's encouragement, he says that, that I may be less sorrowful because just as Epaphroditus seems to have been distressed by the Philippians being in distress about Epaphroditus, Paul was also in distress about that. Paul was concerned about the church. He was concerned about what they were feeling and what they were, uh, where their emotional state was. And he said, I'm sending Epaphroditus back to you so not only that you can rejoice and praise God, but that I can be relieved that you guys aren't distressed about this anymore. That this isn't a worry on your part. Um, so that he would be less sorrowful. Um, there is in all this too that there be a unity in the church, a, a like-mindedness. You know, they're, they're concerned about Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus is concerned about them. They're, they're working together. It reminded me back, we're in Philippians 2. We go back to verses 2 through 4. This is what Paul taught on it. We talked about this already, but let's read that. Philippians 2, 2 through 4. Who would like to read Okay, Nathan.
esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Especially looking at verse 3 and 4, do you see how there is, Epaphroditus was worried about the church, the church was worried about Epaphroditus, Paul's worried about the church, Paul's worried about Epaphroditus. There's not a concern about ourselves, there's a concern about others around us. And here, we shouldn't be doing things through selfish ambition and seed, but we need to esteem others better than ourselves. We need to look out to the interests of others around us. And that's what they were exemplifying. And as Paul writes about Epaphroditus, you can see that in the church in Philippi, they were concerned about Epaphroditus, not about their own situation. You see on Epaphroditus, he wasn't concerned that he was dying, he was concerned that the church was distressed over it. You can see how Paul was concerned about Epaphroditus and about the Philippian church. There, there's that, that love, concern, that thought for one another. And that's what Paul is trying to say. This is, this is what is good in the church. This is how the church is supposed to act. This is how we're supposed to work together. And so Epaphroditus was an encouragement to the church that as they're thinking about him, he shows them how God has worked and how God is doing work within the church. So we see... Epaphroditus' availability, his essentialness, Epaphroditus' encouragement, and then we see that Epaphroditus is honored. Philippians 2, 29-30 says, Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such men in esteem. Because the work of the Christ, he came close to death, not regarding his life, to supply what is lacking or service toward me. So he's honored, and it talks about, Paul says, receive him. Now this isn't just the idea of, okay, he's there now, just let him in, whatever. This is the idea of bring him in and, and give him that place of honor, of lift him up, of building him up. Receive him into the body, make him a part of that body again. Uh, and it says receive him in the Lord, uh, again, because he's doing the work of the Lord. He's a brother in Christ. Um, his character is a testimony to who Christ is and what Christ wants the church to be. So they're to receive him. And then with all gladness, and obviously they're concerned about him, so they're probably very glad to see him, but Paul's just emphasizing, be glad that he's there. Rejoice in that. Celebrate that. It's okay. You guys are, you guys are together. You're, you love each other. You care about each other. Be glad. Um, it also talks about hold such men in esteem. So it's not just Epaphroditus, but others like him, which tells us that there ought to be other men like Epaphroditus. You know, we ought to be like him. Hold him in esteem. And, and he gives some reasons. Because of the work of Christ, he came close to death. It's, it, it seems like that whatever caused his sickness, his injury, was partially because of what he was doing for Christ. It either put him in danger or, or there was some result as a part of he, he's being persecuted for uh, his service and his ministry to Christ. And so he almost died in service to the Lord. And in fact, it goes on to say uh, he came close to death not regarding his life. It's not only that he came close to death serving the Lord, but he was willing to die to serve the Lord. He was willing to die to do what Christ wanted him to do. Um, it reminds me of uh, Philippians 3, 7, and 8, which we're going to get to in a few weeks. Uh, who would like to read that? Go ahead, Matt. So if Paul puts, uh, puts out a scale, you know, the, one of those old-fashioned uh, uh, justice-type scales, 
the balancing ones. Um, and puts uh, knowing Christ on one side and things on the other. Which one's going to outweigh the other? Yeah. It's going to be like, uh, I don't know if you've seen this in like cartoons where somebody puts like a whole bunch of stuff on the scale and one side goes down the other stuff goes flying. That, that's probably the illustration here, that he counts knowing Christ, the knowledge of his will, um, he counts that greater than everything else in his life. In fact, he says he doesn't mind that he lost anything else because that is nothing compared to the, 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 uh, the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Epaphroditus had the same mentality. He was willing to give up even his life in order to serve Christ and do what Christ wanted him to do. Uh, he was willing to, to die in serving the Lord. And he was doing that because uh, he wanted to serve on behalf of the church to Paul. And it says here, um, not regarding his life, to supply what was lacking in your service towards me. Now, this wasn't that the church wasn't able to help Paul. This was that, or that the church didn't want to help Paul. This was the church wasn't able to be there for Paul. You know, most of them had to be in Philippi. As we look at the church and we talked about the whole idea of the master-slave relationship, a lot of the people in the church were, were slaves. That was true of the whole Roman Empire. There weren't many free people. There were a lot of slaves in the Roman Empire. So a lot of these people were slaves. They weren't free to just take off to Rome and go. They had responsibilities in the house that they lived in and serving their master and, and doing the things that were there. They couldn't do it. So what the church does, they found somebody... Um, Epaphroditus, who was free to serve, who was free to minister to Paul, who was free to bring uh, supplies from the church, who was free to be an encouragement to Paul, to serve Paul whenever he was, and they sent him. And he was willing to do it. And, and maybe that, maybe with this journey to Rome is where he caught sick. Maybe along the way he picked up something, he got to Rome, and he, he, you know, he's bringing stuff to Paul, and he, he, he comes sick because of something that he encountered along the way. And it seems like the passage may, and I'm not saying that's what happened, but it seems like the passage is kind of leading that way. You can kind of see that in there. Um, he was serving Paul and, and serving the Lord and was going to end up dying for it. But he was willing to do that. He was willing to serve. He was willing to do what he could for Christ in the time that he had. Uh, I think the thing is that we need to remember in our lives is that you have a finite amount of time. You don't know how much time you have. You know, that, that became a reality to me a year and a half ago when um, Sue on the way to work was killed in that car accident. Church, thank you. Sometimes I can't talk. On the way to church, she was killed in that car accident, and, uh, you know, none of us knew that was going to happen. I remember being at church, and I was talking to Jonathan, I'm like, they should be here. I don't know what's going on. Maybe they had a flat tire. I don't know. Then Jonathan took me out, and we found them. But... Um, you don't know how much time you're going to have. Epaphroditus was going to use the time that he had to serve the Lord, to serve Paul, to serve the church. Is that our attitude? I may have 40 years left. I may have one day left. I'm going to use that time to serve the Lord. So he's willing to serve on behalf of the church to Paul. Going back to Philippians 4.18, we read this earlier, but let's read it again. It's on the very back of your sheet, I know. Uh, go ahead, Eric. So Epaphroditus came from the church, brought the things that the church provided for Paul. And Paul describes it as a sweet-smelling aroma. This is, a, this is as a worship idea that 
um, in the Old Testament in the temple when the priests went in and they burned the incense. It was a, if they burnt the right incense, if they burnt the stuff that God told them to burn, this was a sweet-smelling aroma to God. This was something pleasing to him. And Paul is saying that Epaphroditus' service is pleasing. It's pleasing to God in a worship sense. It's an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And again, Epaphroditus almost died while he was doing this. But Paul says that's a wonderful thing that he served God and it pleased him and honored him. Uh, so he was honored because of his service to the Lord. Uh, a few takeaways this morning. Um, Epaphroditus is an example of what the, a Christian should think like and what a Christian should act like. Paul saw his faithfulness and was willing to serve and trust him to do the work of the ministry. For us, we likewise should be faithful that we can be trusted to do what Christ wants us to do. And again, I don't know what Christ wants you to do. I can't tell you that. I can't open to a passage and find uh, Jonathan. Who Christ says, here's what you're supposed to do here. It's in, you know, it's in Mark 17 here. And I don't know what that is. But you make yourself available like Epaphroditus did, and, and God's going to use you. God's going to put you in a place where you can serve him. Also, Epaphroditus was available to the, do the work that needed to be done. The first step in faithful service, this is, I guess, where I'm getting at here, is to be available when the need arises. Just to be faithful, just to be there when the need arises, that you, want, you can step in and do what God wants you to do. Being faithful to doing the work of the Lord brings encouragement to a broad group of people. Pastors are encouraged when the church is faithful to the Lord. Um, and I know this because I've talked to pastors. One of the things that distresses them the most is when they preach and they teach and they say, this is what we're supposed to do, and then the church doesn't do it. They just do their own thing. That's distressing. But when a church serves, when a church is walking with God, when they're doing the right things, you know how much of an encouragement that is to a pastor? I think any pastor would love and desire that, that people would just do what God wants them to do. Fellow workers are encouraged that they are not working alone. Have you ever worked on a task, and it doesn't have to be church-related, but anything where you were just overwhelmed, there was too much to do, and you couldn't figure it out? Um, I'm going to use Nathan as an example here. I, a few years ago, we, uh, had, we had this stand-up shower upstairs, and the basin they put in was this plastic basin. It wasn't very well made. And Susan and I were not, are not the most uh, petite people in the world, okay? So we end up cracking this basin. Um, because, huh? Yeah, and apparently there are people that jumped in the shower. If I jump in the shower, I'm going to fall down and hurt myself. So I'm not jumping in the shower, so it wasn't me. Anyway, the, the basin cracked, and so uh, we decided, you know what, well, we're going to get this nice uh, stainless steel, this reinforced basin. We're going to get a new shower surround. I'm going to go do that, which my skills are not, I've never done a shower before. Um, so when we got this in, we, I realized that um, the plumbing didn't really line up the, quite the right way to make it work. And I had no idea what to do about it. Well, thankfully, I have a guy who's an apprentice in the Homers and Steamfitters Union in my house. And I said, Nathan, can you come and help me with this? And it took us a while. We, we had to go several times back to the store to get the right parts because it was so goofy. It was really goofy, right? Yes, yes Nathan says it. He, he knows more than I do. That's why I'm going to him. He's the expert. It is very wrong. Uh, but we got it to work. Now, that's encouragement to me because that's something I can't do by myself. But Nathan came alongside me and helped me with that. It was awesome. And 
um, he also helped put in the, the fixture for the shower and the stuff like that because I wouldn't know how to do that either. Um, so the same way works in the ministry. If you're doing stuff, you can get overwhelmed. There can be too much for you to do. It can be uh, more than you're capable. But when other people come alongside you and help you out, that's an encouragement. Well, that means that also other people are encouraged when you do that. So be the type of person that says, hey, that person could use some help. I'm going to see if I can help them in the ministry. I'm going to see if I can, whatever, whatever they're doing. It doesn't have to be, you know, a Sunday school teacher. You don't have to come to me and say, hey, Sean, I'll help you Sunday school teach once in a while. I don't mind doing that. But um, it, it could be any part of the ministry that when we come alongside each other, when we work together, when we help out, when we uh, participate in the ministry together, it's an encouragement. Um, let me go on here because I don't want to get too much on a soapbox here. Younger Christians are encouraged by the example of what a faithful servant is doing. You know, Paul often times says, imitate me as I'm imitating Christ. As a, if you're, especially if you're an older, more mature Christian, there's younger people looking up to you. They're looking to see what you do. They're looking to see how you serve. And it can be an encouragement to them, hey, I want to serve like that person. I want to do the things that they're doing. Uh, we ought to be role models in that way. We ought to be mentors in that way. We ought to be disciplers in that way. They were helping younger Christians be encouraged to do the work of Christ. Unbelievers are shown what serving Christ, what, shown that this doesn't make any sense the way I wrote it. Unbelievers are shown what serving Christ probably looks like, and what serving Christ and doing what is right looks like. I guess it is right. Um, unbelievers are shown what serving Christ and doing what is right looks like. The world will notice you the way you live. If you say you're a Christian, they're going to be watching you. And you know what? They may ridicule you at times. They may call you names. You know, eventually, there could be persecution even involved in our life for living like Christ. But you know what? They're going to notice. Second, First Peter talks about that uh, um, that you may have an answer for the reason of hope that is in you with meekness and fear. That's in a, a context of a passage of trials and tribulations, as they're persecuting you, as they're threatening you because of your faith, as they're doing this stuff, they're going to see the way you live, and eventually they're going to come to the conclusion that this is different, this is something I need to know about. And then you're going to be able to give the answer for the reason the hope that is in you. And so, so they're watching us. Uh, so it's an encouragement to many, many different people when you're living and doing what God wants you to do. Then the last thing here, when there are others who serve, are serving as faithful, or serving faithfully and acting righteously, we can look to them as examples in our life. And we kind of talked a little bit about that. We should learn from them and be encouraged by their faithful lifestyle. So those are my takeaways. Any thoughts, questions, concerns this morning? Yes, and, and I think truly uh, the reason why God is tearing so long and returning is because he wants as many people to be saved as possible, and that includes uh, the wretched people that are all around you every day that need to hear the gospel and need to hear about Christ because, you know what, you were at one point a wretched, evil person too that is now saved by grace. And so, so you have something in common with those people. They need Christ, you needed Christ, 
We can get to share Christ with them. Thank you, Nathan. That's good. Any other thoughts, questions, concerns? Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Matt, would you close us in prayer?